It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio KCAW Sitka. Today is Tuesday, December 12th. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. The Southeast Alaska Regional Health Consortium will present an update on home health services at the Sitka Assembly meeting tonight. This fall, Search announced it would be closing its home health department. In media interviews, letters, and ads in the Sitka Sentinel, hospital officials have repeatedly said that while the department is closing, the services provided to patients will not change. They'll just be provided by other departments. But some Sitkins remain concerned about the future of home health services, and in November, the Sitka Women's Club organized a town hall to discuss the issue. Organizers say they invited Search's top-ranking staff to attend the facilitated discussion and to answer questions, but the consortium did not send a representative. It's unclear from the Assembly agenda what information will be included in Search's update or who will be presenting it. No additional materials are attached to the Assembly packet. The Assembly will also consider the draft airport lease agreement between the city and the state. The state owns Sitka's airport, while the city owns the terminal building. The lease between the two comes right as the city is poised to receive a big federal grant to expand and revamp the airport building. While the state initially wanted to include controversial parking fees in the new lease agreement, fees aren't written into this contract, though they may come before the assembly in the future for consideration as sublease agreement. Additional concession fees for airport vendors, however, are included in the contract. In other business, the Assembly will consider whether to approve $157,000 in matching funds for the second phase of the Sitka Seawalk, which will extend the Seawalk from the library under the O'Connell Bridge. The Sitka Assembly meets at 6 p.m. tonight. Raven News will broadcast the meeting live following Alaska News Nightly. The Coast Guard has recovered the wreckage of an air station Sitka helicopter, which crashed last month near Petersburg, but it could take up to eight months to learn what happened. In a news release, the Coast Guard reports that the aircraft was removed from the shore of Reed Island last week. Now the M60 Jayhawk is on its way to North Carolina for an inspection as part of a larger investigation into what caused the crash. On November 13th, the air station Sitka crew was responding to a mayday from a fishing boat that was taking on water in Farragut Bay, about 20 miles northwest of Petersburg. The skipper of the boat had brought the flooding under control by the time the helicopter arrived. However, something went wrong and the helicopter crashed on nearby Reed Island. The two men on the boat came to the aid of the helicopter crew and supported them through the night with communications and supplies while awaiting emergency responders from Petersburg and a second helicopter from Air Station Sitka. All four crew members were medevaced to Seattle, two of them with serious injuries. The Coast Guard now says that all four crew members have returned home from the hospital and are recovering. Weather conditions were poor during the mission, with wind speeds up to 40 miles per hour in the area and low visibility. The Coast Guard established a security zone around the crash site and began an investigation. On December 8th, with the help of the U.S. Army's downed aircraft recovery team, the Forest Service, the Alaska Department of Environmental Conservation, and Petersburg Fire and Rescue, among others, they were able to retrieve the helicopter. In an email to KCAW, Coast Guard Public Affairs Officer Mike Salerno said the helicopter is being transported to the Aviation Logistics Center in Elizabeth City, North Carolina, where investigators were further examining the airframe. Salerno said to KCAW that aviation experts from across the service have been investigating the crash, from collecting and examining the wreckage to interviewing all parties involved with the accident and reviewing environmental factors. Salerno said the investigation can take up to eight months. The National Weather Service has issued high wind and flood watches for southeast Alaska communities from Juneau down to Ketchikan. Meteorologist Grant Smith said several storms will pass over the region early this week, bringing heavy rain and strong wind.
what we're looking at is just a series of you know, strong uh, low-pressure systems moving into the Gulf that are going to be swinging in from the south uh, over the panhandle. A flood watch is in effect from Monday evening through Wednesday morning for nearly every community in the region, including Juneau, Gustavus, Sitka, Wrangell, Petersburg, Ketchikan, and Prince of Wales Island. By Monday night, rain is expected to pick up across the whole panhandle, bringing two to four inches over the next 48 hours. The storms will also bring warmer temperatures, which could melt snow that's accumulated over the last few weeks. Together, rain and snowmelt could cause flooding in low-lying areas. But Smith says lakes, rivers, and streams are unlikely to overtop their banks. Rivers are on the lower side, so that might be uh, working in our favor. Strong winds are also expected in some places. A high wind watch will be in effect on Tuesday and Wednesday for Skagway, Juneau, Ketchikan, and Prince of Wales Island. Wind gusts up to 60 miles per hour could bring tree falls, power outages, and other wind damage. And Smith said the combination of intense rain and wind means that isolated landslides are also possible on steep hillsides. Alaska spends a lot of money on education, roughly 40 percent more than the national average per student. But research presented by the University of Alaska Anchorage's Institute of Social and Economic Research on Thursday suggests that number doesn't tell the whole story. Alaska Public Media's Eric Stone has more. It doesn't take much thinking. Anyone who's spent time in Alaska knows that things just cost more here, and education is no exception. But how much more? Dana DeFeo, who leads UAA's Center for Alaska Education Policy Research, tried to answer that with a study in 2022. She and her co-authors first looked at the state's so-called cost factor. That's part of the education funding formula that corrects for the higher cost of living in smaller rural communities. DeFeo and her team also adjusted for the fact that small schools are more costly per person to run. In that adjustment alone, it's explained more than half of the difference between Alaska's spending and the national average. So if you take into account the cost of living in, say, Unalakleet or Thorn Bay compared to Anchorage, Alaska spends about 20 percent more than the rest of the country on educating its kids. But, of course, prices in Anchorage are quite a bit higher than they are in the rest of the country. So DeFeo and her fellow researchers took a look at a widely used cost-of-living index and used that to make an apples-to-apples comparison. And when we did that, we actually find that Alaska dips below the national average by 7 percentage points in 2019. That is, after you consider the cost of gas, groceries, medical care, and school supplies, electricity, and everything else it takes to make an economy run, Alaska actually spends less per student than the rest of the country. And the gap has grown bigger in recent years. When they first looked at the question using 2017 data, Alaska's spending was just about on par with the national average. But Alaska's per-student spending grew 3% between 2017 and 2019. So how did the state fall further behind? What that means is that other states are investing more in public education. They're doing it more and faster than we are. And I think that's going to be a big deal for Alaska. Where's Alaska's school money going? Well, DeFeo points to three big drivers of rising costs. We've already talked about one, small schools. Small schools are just more expensive to run than bigger ones. Turnover is high, they have to pay higher wages to attract teachers, and they can't take advantage of shared resources in the way that larger districts can. Another is health care. Even outside of education, Alaska has the highest per-person health care costs in the U.S., and a third is energy. Fuel is more expensive in remote communities, and electricity can cost three to five times more in rural areas than urban ones. And schools don't benefit from the state's power cost equalization program that offsets high electricity prices for rural residents. DeFeo says those issues complicate the funding puzzle. 
those things aren't really education policy issues, but they're certainly affecting how we're doing education policy and they are um, and they are affecting our spending. As long as those things are realities, you know, we should expect those to be a part of our education spending conversation. So even as education costs as a whole continue to grow, DeFeo says the higher spending in Alaska doesn't keep pace with the nation. And she says that's a worrying sign for Alaska schools. Alaska doesn't produce all of the teachers that it needs to hire every, every year. And so we're competing for teachers in a national market. She says higher salaries, better benefits, and working conditions for teachers and school staff could help keep Alaska from falling further behind. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Eric Stone. A fin whale washed up in the Pasagshack State Recreation Area near the end of Kodiak Island's road system late last month. It's unclear how it died. Fin whales are the second largest whale species in the world and are usually pretty rare around Kodiak. Matt Van Dale is the natural resource director for the Sunak tribe on Kodiak. Fin whales can live up to 90 years in the wild, but Van Dale says this one was just a young teenager and in remarkably poor health. She was extremely emaciated and... She was basically like a 53-foot-long snake, and that was, that was very sad to see. He says when they found the lone whale, she had several bruises all along her body. It's possible that she may have stranded while she was still alive and then died during the night before anyone found her. In all, about 40 people, including volunteers, veterinary staff, and staff from the Sunak tribe, came to help with a necropsy. Vandale says whales dying near town used to be pretty rare for the island, but now this is the second severely unhealthy whale they've done a necropsy for this year. There isn't enough data for biologists to declare a trend yet, but these whales are being found on the heels of an unusual mortality event for gray whales in the Pacific Ocean. Vandale says the two starved whales in a single year doesn't bode well for populations near the Kodiak archipelago. I personally and scientifically am concerned about what we're going to be seeing in the next couple of years with our local whales if, if these things actually do turn into trends. For now, all biologists can do is monitor populations and wait for their samples to get their lab results. Vandale says the fin whale's corpse is still on the beach for now, but they plan to bury it in hopes they can save the skeleton to assemble and display in town. Nowhere in Alaska actually has a fin whale skeleton, and we'd really like to have this be community landmark. That'd be pretty neat for our fin whale to stay home here so that we can enjoy it. Vandale says while the whale might have had a sad death, they hope displaying it can be a source of pride for the community. Taking a look at the community calendar. Registration is now open for youth of various ages for winter tumbling classes on the Parks and Recreation page of cityofsitka.com. Classes are offered in two sessions, December 19th through 22nd and December 26th through 29th. For more information, email recreation at cityofsitka.org or call 907-747-4031. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.